Welcome to What the Risk, Exposing Business Blind Spots, an interview-based podcast series that discusses risk management topics. Have you ever been blindsided in a business situation? Think about your entire computer system going down, a supplier that cannot deliver, or your biggest customer declaring bankruptcy, or your new marketing strategy completely missing the mark. These are visceral what-the-risk moments. Your exact words may be different, but the feeling is the same. When everyone's eyes are focused on the next sale, high-impact, low-visibility risks often get overlooked. We call these blind spots, and these blind spots cause what-the-risk moments. I am your host, Larry Gordon of Gordon Risk Solutions. Join us on this journey as we learn to ask the right questions, expose potential pitfalls, and empower you to turn the what-the-risk moments into I've Got This victories. Welcome to episode 108, the first season, eighth episode of the What the Risk podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about advertising, marketing, and customer acquisition. We're going to be talking with Scott Harkey, leader of the Harkey Group, a multifaceted advertising marketing firm out of Arizona and Nevada. Scott and I have been friends since 2017. Welcome, Scott, to the What the Risk podcast. Hey, great to be here, Larry. Uh, excited for the show. Well, thank you. So let's start off with you telling us a little about your company and how you service your clients. Yeah. So uh, we have uh, an independently held uh, group of advertising agencies based in the Southwest, uh, mostly in Phoenix and Las Vegas. Uh, we represent, uh, you know, Fortune 1000 clients such as uh, Wynn Resorts, uh, Virgin Hotels, uh, many brands from the Walt Disney Corporation, um, and, and others, uh, Walmart, Amazon. Uh, we have four independently owned advertising agencies within our holding company of agencies at the Harkey Group. Um, our biggest and most notable probably OH Partners, which is a full service integrated um, advertising agency with, I don't know, probably about 125-ish people. Uh, total employee count, probably close to 200. Um, and uh, I co-founded the agency 16 years ago today. Um, not today, but this month, actually. And uh, yeah, it's fun to be in the business of of uh, working with great brands and and really creative and talented and strategic people. And uh, excited to be on the show. So hopefully that gives a, a little background on the agencies. But we have anything from a you know full service digital agency to a film company called Matter Films, a film and production company. Um, and uh, we're, we're launching a new agency actually that focuses exclusively on the travel business, hotel, casinos, resorts, um, and entertainment that will be mostly based out of our Las Vegas office with some of the capabilities there. Well, that's terrific. One of the things I like to ask our guests is what are you working on now or have you recently worked on that really excites you? A um, couple of things come to mind. One is we just finished a commercial with um, a pretty famous rapper. Uh, his name is Little Wayne. Uh, so we worked with a company out of Japan called Capcom, uh, and they have a, a, a legacy uh, entertainment property called Street Fighter, which is a pretty popular video game. So we helped Capcom launch uh, Street Fighter VI, uh, and we convinced Capcom to hire this uh, you know, a uh, pretty bold rapper uh, named Lil Wayne, who's been around for a while, but he actually likes playing Street Fighter and has been. So he's been a fan of the game. And so uh, it was one of their biggest launches uh, in their most recent history. 
um, and it, it received a ton of media attention. Um, and, uh, it was a really fun commercial with Little Wayne, um, and this group of characters playing Street Fighter and kind of this augmented reality world. Um, and we shot that in New Orleans. Um, and it was just, uh, it was just a ton of fun as being a fan of a little Wayne, uh, kind of through high school and college and listening to his music. That was, uh, that's probably the most recent work that, uh, comes to mind as being kind of fun. That's great. So when we think about growth companies, even large companies like you're dealing with, when they have a advertising marketing program where they're trying to put something together, there's a lot of risk that can go on, whether they're investing too much, too little, right target audience, uh, the decision makers and things like that. And so when, as we think through this and the audience that ranges from entertainment to retail to services and manufacturing, I want to think about kind of what the risks are that people are going to face and the mitigation uh, in their programs that they put this together, because there's a lot of kind of traps, if you will, if you're just trying to do it without a lot of thought and professional guidance. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're talking to someone who just, you know, <laughs> shot a commercial with little Wayne. Um, and, and if you can imagine, you know, uh, his persona and, you know, uh, things that he likes to do while he's on set and, and, and <laughs> what you would have to plan for. Um, and even, you know, uh, with athletes or celebrities or musicians, any sort of, um, downfall is them as their spokesperson, whether, um, it could be something in their career or something that, that happens could be a DUI. It could be, you know, it could be a thousand things you're dealing with human beings that are, you know, representing the brand. The pros are, of course, you know, human beings, um, as humans, we want to relate to other humans and corporations, um, don't really have human characteristics. So marketing people like me want to take corporations or companies and put more human like attributes to them to make them more beloved by people. So they sell more product. Um, one major way in doing that, of course, in today's world with the decline of traditional media channels like television and radio and newspaper and the rise of other channels like TikTok and Instagram and other um, platforms, YouTube. And you have these, you know, celebrities that are different from the celebrities that we're used to of 10 and 15 and 20 years ago, but that have audience and that have, um, uh, you know, um, people that, that adore them. Um, and so brands are trying to, again, make themselves more likable and more human. And they're using the likes of influencers and celebrities in this, in this new world of media. And it's really helpful, but there are a ton of risk and I'm not a risk person. I'm the marketing person. So people like you would probably have to help us, you know, figure out what the risks are. And, you know, the really great companies are, are beating the big companies by actually cutting these celebrities into brands. Like if you look at, Ryan Reynolds, right? I mean, look at, look at the success Ryan Reynolds has, has with all of his companies, the gin company over a billion dollars, Casa Amigos Tequila with George Clooney over a billion dollars with less than five years of, of existence of the company. Um, I think now Casa Amigos is worth close to $3 billion. Um, look at, look at the Mint Mobile and T-Mobile deal with Ryan Reynolds. Uh, look at the soccer team that Ryan Reynolds has bought. Um, you're going to see more and more celebrities be part of brands as owners because they have influence um, and they have relevancy. And that's what brands are fighting for. Um, but you can imagine little things like 
being on TikTok, right? Um, most Fortune 500 brands that I know, their legal department says, no way in hell we're doing TikTok. Um, but TikTok right now is the um, best e-commerce platform for conversion, in my opinion. Um, the algorithm's that good. So um, yeah, in a marketing world, um, there are constant kind of risk-reward, I'm sure, battles to to be had um and i'm going to be the one that is going to be pushing probably the most on the on the side of 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 doing big things and doing things to be relevant in a in a in a especially the us economy that is very difficult to stick out i mean there's 5 to 6000 in some cases 10000 promotional messages a day at the average american consumer um so to create any sort of impact or relevancy is extremely difficult. Um, and uh, most people can't do it. And so um, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of risk that comes with um, that kind of competition. So as you talked about, there's so much noise out there kind of breaking through that barrier. So mm -hmm. what do you, how would you guide a smaller company that doesn't have the Disney budgets or doesn't have the wind resort budget to break through that noise. I mean, you guys are trying to be cutting edge with those bigger brands. How do you coach someone to break through? Is it really about kind of data mining and figuring out the target market and how to really rifle shot it? Um, there's, a, there's a few things. So depending on the business category and the size, um, I, I think that, that most small businesses or medium-sized businesses, again, depending on category and size, I think the biggest opportunity is is really honing in on your product offering and making sure that your product offering is truly um, differentiated amongst your competitors. Uh, the second thing is is your tone and voice and campaign um, and 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 marketing materials is it differentiated in the marketplace or do you look like everybody else? And I'm talking colors, language. Um, fonts. I mean, everything has to be truly differentiated. Uh, and then on the third part, are you really providing content and product that your consumer and your target consumer want? And, and really what makes your target consumers tick? I think for small businesses, that strategy work to, to, you know, align with a business plan is the easiest and most you know, low hanging fruit, I would say, before we start talking about tactics and percent of, you know, budget that goes to marketing and campaigns and all this other stuff. Um, I really think once you have that really, really strategized, um, then you can start to put together um, tactics and campaign elements and marketing that, that can start, that, that can be tracked and honed and optimized over time. But the biggest mistake is when that front-end strategy work isn't really flushed out and it isn't aligned with the business plan and your internal team isn't aligned on exactly what you're doing and what you provide for your customers, um, then the marketing and advertising part gets really messy. It's like trying to build a house on crappy foundation. It just doesn't work. Um, and it's really expensive. Um, and so that that's what I probably would counsel most small businesses. And, 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 a lot of marketing people call that like a, a branding exercise or even sometimes a rebrand exercise. And I really think it's so much deeper than that. I, I, I really think it's, you know, a business marketing strategy um, that aligns to that aligns with a, a actual business um, uh, strategy and a business plan. 
Um, so certainly there are brand elements in it. There are logo elements in it. There are campaign elements and taglines and all that pieces of that in it. But it's, it's, it's certainly a, it's really laying the, the foundation for success. Um, in a marketing world, because if, if you're not speaking to the right audience with the right offer, with the right product, and if you're not differentiated, it doesn't matter what we put out in the marketplace. If it's, if it's relevant, if it's cool, if it's, you know, breaking through the clutter, it won't matter if it, if it doesn't meet some of those other elements first. Well, very good. So you were talking about the trends of TikTok and other things that have come in. How do, where do you see other trends coming from? being able to get to the customer and uh, get them acquired to at least have interest in your products? Yeah. Uh, so a couple of trends that I think are interesting. I mean, um, one is uh, right now, um, you know, we, we subscribe to all this, as you can imagine, um, quantitative and quanti qualitative uh, marketing information. Um, we use a company uh, that, that um, helps provide a lot of these human insights in real time monthly um, who I've, I've been working with forever. Um, and a couple of things that stick out to me right now, 52% uh, of Americans are on a fixed shopping budget right now, uh, which is pretty scary from an economy standpoint. Um, and, it, and it really shows that I think consumers are looking for, um, in some cases, real value-driven brands. So um, you're seeing a rise in private label brands uh, like you know Safeway Select, Kirkland, um, and you're seeing a lot of people, you know, really looking for value on, on a grocery shopping standpoint. But then you look at on the other side of things, um, experiential, um, experiences and experiential activity is still at an all time high. 87 to 90% of people want more experiences than they're currently, um, having. Um, and they will spend above their budget um, uh, around anything experiential. So things like you see the Sphere in Las Vegas and one of our markets, um, which I think is brilliant. Um, and you're seeing a lot of other brands trying to package in and, and um, add anything they can, whether it's experience when you're buying something online or in store, or whether you're a hotel and you're packaging more of an experience than just the room, right? Like everything and 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 truly consumers that love the maybe 25 brands that they love are going to expect um, the brands to provide more of an experience at every level of touching that brand whether it's buying experiencing it being with it getting an email from them at a concert with them like anything that that packages in more of an experience um, that packages in some sort of feeling for a customer. That's what they're calling for. And they're calling for it more and more. And then the third piece and the third trend that I see like crazy is, and Gen Z is driving this, but it, it goes all the way through the channel of demographics um, is that consumers want more personalized content for them. Uh, so I think brands and, and platforms like TikTok that basically you know, know what you want to be seen from a content standpoint, and mm -hmm. it's serving that up to you. Um, uh, people are, are going to continue to expect brands to, to make content and make ads and make things that really are pertain to them and them only. And that could be even when you're at checkout and buying something online, it could be an email, it could be whatever it is. So I think the need for more personalized content one-to-one. -one. Um, and I think AI will help get get the scale of that content that needs to get done 
done. Um, and uh, it's not going to stop. There's just more and more people that don't want generic messages um, at them. They want personalized messages. They want people to know who they are and how they want to be talked to. So it's really a create your own story on the receiver side. It's like, I want to have you tell me what I want to do and kind of attract me down the path. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, it's, it's simple stuff like, you know, like I, I think Instagram and Facebook, well, Facebook was the first and meta, I don't know what we should call them. I will call them meta, but Facebook originally had these, I think 28 different categories of attributes of their, of their users. Um, and it was like goofy stuff. Like this is someone who's in like a, you know, who likes Star Wars and they kind of have like a Star Wars vibe to them. Or they had all these kind of different personas, right? And marketers are pretty familiar with personas and people call personas old school. I still think personas are a great tool today um, where you help define your your optimal um, uh, consumer and you help stereotype them in some ways that, that and the stereotype's a bad name, but I, I, I say that in, in a way to spurred <laughs> debate on on when you're when you're crafting your ideal customer i think you have to start to think in a story of somebody not just age and where they live and and quantitative kind of um demographics um and 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 then when you're when you're producing content whether that's an email blast or a social post or a pr message how are you how are you influencing some of those attributes to that customer and, and you should have first party data on them so um it shouldn't be hard and that could be a, a nod to hey you know we're the diamondbacks we're going to do a star wars night or hey you know um we we know you love travel and we know we you love to go to cabo and so you know here is a cabo package we put together for you because you know bill we know you love cabo um uh, those are the kind of just maybe little examples, but I think there are much bigger um, opportunities in that space. Well, terrific. So in order to go down that path with AI or whatever, what other resources, tools uh, are out there that are going to help change your space and uh, attracting customers? So uh, um, to get into AI a little bit, um, uh, first of all, nobody has the full answer to AI. Um, and AI isn't going to solve your problems in marketing. And AI is not going to be a silver bullet to your marketing, which unfortunately I've had a lot of conversations with people that, you know, think this holy grail of AI is coming. First of all, it's not fully flushed out. Um, it's getting there very, very fast. Um, you know, I can tell you at our agency of a couple hundred people, every single person at our agency at every job function has the ability to sign up for any AI service they want at 20 bucks a month. Cause at most of them are about 20 bucks a month. Um, some are subscribing to seven, eight, nine different types of AI. Some are doing a couple, um, whether that's mid journey, if you're a designer and you need scale of content, or if you're a copywriter or even an account person or a strategist that's, that's using chat GPT as a search engine and as a content producer, or even an idea generator, or even an outline template, kind of holder. What I think really AI is going to do is help scale marketing activities more than we've ever seen in our life. Um, and so I would counsel anyone in marketing or any CEO, CEO, the first step to, I think, really having adoption of AI inside your companies is giving people the green light to, the green light to test. 
um, and giving them the budget to go sign up for um, all the services. Um, I personally think um, Midjourney um, and ChatGPT have the the biggest uh, impact for marketing um, inside an organization or for agencies. That's probably the ones we're using the most. Um, and again, what I think it's going to do short-term, long-term is I think it's going to make marketing uh, scaled marketing efforts um, and scaled content more efficient um, and and basically cheaper. Again, we're not quite there yet, but that's where it's coming. Um, so I think you can have smaller marketing departments. I, but as long as your departments understand prompt engineering and how to work with AI, um, and I think we're going to be able to get much more work done, um, better, faster, cheaper. That's where that's where AI is really going to make. But it it won't make you. Um, just a bad marketer to a great marketer because AI is here. That that's definitely not what it's going to do. But it, it will help a department of five people get double and triple the amount of content done um, eventually. That's great. And you're, you were going to talk about other tools or resources that are out there. Yeah, um, uh, certainly ChatGPT, uh, Midjourney, um, the Adobe, the Adobe suites, uh, I think are great. Um, um, and again, sign up for the latest versions. If you're using the free versions, like, come on, like give them the 20 bucks a month. So what I love about chat GPT too, is, um, they have basically a Microsoft Bing plugin. Um, it's really, it's not just, you know, AI and, and copywriting. It's actually plugged into a search engine, which I think is going to be a huge, huge benefit for Microsoft. Um, uh, those would probably be where I would start. Um, there's others like Firefly is another one that comes to mind. Um, I'd probably stick with those top three for at least for marketing people. Um, I'm trying to think of other maybe tools, um, but you know, certainly just playing around with it, like giving people the permission to to play. Um, we do a lot of um, AI hacks where we'll like have like once a month, our whole team will come in and just play with AI and have fun with it. Um, and then we do a uh, quarterly AI presentation, all functional teams to our agency and our clients. Um, and, uh, I got to give our, our president, uh, Megan Jackman kudos. She's really adopted AI at a high level. Um, uh, but truthfully, it's, it's not, it's not ready to be sold yet. It's still, it's still tested and optimized right now, in my opinion. There's some cool things that can come out of it. Um, and I will, I, I will say that even just using chat GPT for, um, other marketing adjacent departments, um, for market research can be can be very effective as well. Very good. So when it comes to content marketing and you want to keep your customers intrigued through different content, can you talk about kind of trends in content marketing and how to keep that fresh? Yeah, abs absolutely. Um, I, I think podcasts are, are a great um, tool for content marketing. And I think one I, one mistake I see often, and one I've made um, often as well, is I think we think about content marketing as something that needs to be this highly produced, big event kind of thing. Um, and it's actually the opposite. I think people just want authentic, um, uh, uh, relevant um, talking points. Um, and I think there's a way to... Um, be more efficient with your content because so many different channels can use that content if it's just maybe tweaked in at a different way, right? So if you're doing a podcast, as an example, the podcast can also 
have video clips that can be broken up on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter or X. Um, if you're doing a sports marketing program and there's a speaking engagement, well, while you're getting that speaking engagement, you can be filming that and that can be broken up into bite-sized pieces. So I, I think there are so many efficient ways to take long form content that's being done, whether that's a podcast, a speaking engagement, television appearance, um, uh, whatever it is, um, I think you can take that content again and you can splice it up and make all these little smaller vignettes that can be placed on different channels at different times. Um, and I think people at times, unfortunately, like a lot of things in marketing, overthink it. Um, and the biggest thing in, in today's day and age, it's, it's, it's actually, it's hard for us to grasp because today's social content is about quantity, not quantity, not quality, which for marketers and for business people and perfectionists is really hard to grasp. Um, it's about putting out content and learning and tweaking the content. It's not about putting the perfect content out at the perfect time all the time because that won't happen. And the people that are just producing more of it are going to learn faster and, and going to, are going to hone it in. So I think it's more about providing a budget, starting small, finding different ways to put content in different places, test and learn. It's a one to two to three year process of getting your ass kicked, like getting hammered and failing before you're going to start to get the insights that you need to really be a great content marketer. And that is really hard for people to understand, especially smart business people, that it's about more about getting started and learning and optimizing than it is providing the perfect plan um, with the, with the real high polished content, of course, have a strategy. Um, and of course, hone in on that strategy. I'm not saying that. Um, but I'm also saying get started, make mistakes, try different things. Well, terrific. So as your as companies go after the customers and the acquisition, what are some KPIs that you should be looking at? What performance metrics should be measured so that people know they're being effective? I mean, ultimately, you know, revenue, sales, market share, I think I, I like to look at because here's the thing with 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 marketing that that um, CFOs and board members and non-marketing people have a problem with. Um, and it's there's going to be a percentage of marketing spend that is not going to be trackable. Um, as great as analytic tools and data that we have, Individual tactical efforts on marketing, channel by channel, thing by thing, will not have the perfect um, uh, multi-point attribution tracking. It just won't. Um, and the best marketers out there um, uh, do more brand marketing, and their companies grow faster, um, and they're more loved. Um, the the companies who are really good with analytics and do really great performance marketing. Um, uh, can feel great about where that spend is going. Um, and they can have the right KPIs and they know if they put, you know, a hundred bucks into the performance marketing machine, 300 bucks comes out and everyone feels great. Um, and I'm, I, I do believe that performance marketing should be a big part of the marketing mix. Um, but I also think that a large part of the marketing percentage should be brand marketing activities that are going to make performance marketing work better. And it's also going to protect the brand over time. It's going to build a moat around your category of expertise, around your uh, product, around your differentiated brand to make it very expensive for other people to come compete with you in that, in that lane. 
Um, and so depending on the business plan, I think the KPIs should look different. I mean, when someone says, what are the key KPIs? It's like, well, what is your goal? Is your goal to sell the company in two years? Is your goal to scale the company? Is your goal to keep the company? Is your goal to keep, you know, market share over this competitor? Like what ultimately is the goal? Um, is it to grow revenue by 10% or 20%? Then the marketing KPIs fit into that. Um, I think the big mistake in marketing is where people say, well, conversions are goal or, you know, revenues are goal and then it's really broad based kind of things. Um, but marketing is really tough. Um, and I, I think I like to personally look at marketing as kind of a three to five year play. Um, in terms of if you're doing more brand initiatives, you're not going to see return on that for sometimes two, three, four, five years, um, down the line. Um, and so if you're going to sell the company in two years, then, you know, our KPIs are going to look a lot different. Really great insights. So I want to transition a bit to understanding kind of where companies typically run into trouble. When we think about the risks that they experience and kind of problems, where do companies run into trouble when they're doing a marketing or advertising plan? So um, you're probably going to hate my answer, but I think as a, as a, again, the marketing voice in the room, uh, which at times the marketing voice in 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 the boardroom is going to be outgunned by other people um, and other smart people, whether it's a C-suite or it's more of a startup company with with a with a sophisticated board. Um, and I think companies run into trouble in this day and age, in this hyper growth world, in this global economy, uh, by being too conservative. Um, and if if you're not playing all out in terms of marketing. There's somebody else who is going to be, um, and I think companies today are are either growing super fast or declining super fast. There's no in between, um, which can be very scary. I mean, you can be, you know, Kmart one minute and out of business the next. Like it, it happens very fast. Um, and so, uh, how do companies get in trouble? Um, I think two things: it's it's not having alignment. Uh, within the company around what you're doing and what your brand stands for and who you are and what the personality is. Um, it's, it's basically finding, you know, journey people, CMOs that bounce around job after job come in and they convince the board and they convince the company that this newest, greatest campaign is going to be the thing. Um, and then they, they, they spend a bunch of money and tell all the customers and potential new customers that this new greatest thing is the thing. And the board doesn't really believe it. The people inside haven't really believed it. There's been no buy-in or roll-in of this idea in this campaign. And then in 18 months, again, then that CMO is fired, and then they start over again. And that's most of the companies that you see. I mean, the average tenure of a CMO uh, for corporate companies is half of any other job in the C-suite, maybe even less. I think it's between 18 months and like 30 months is the average tenure of a CMO at a Fortune 5000 company. Um, that's insane. CFOs are what seven years, CEOs probably five to six years. I mean, even CEOs. So uh, they're the people who get fired the most, um, and uh, it's really hard to get alignment. That takes a lot of work. That takes negotiation. That takes um, time on people's calendar to really get people to buy in on what the company is doing um, and where it's going, um, and how you're gonna. How can you convince consumers that that's what you're doing and where you're going if you can't even convince people inside the company? Um, I think that's the biggest mistake is is moving towards a campaign that's really risky without the proper internal buy-in 
Um, you have to get internal buy-in and that's difficult. Um, and getting internal buy-in isn't, isn't adding things to the campaign that makes everybody happy. That's what's called Frankensteining creative. And you may hear agencies or creative people say this a lot where they present three or four different ideas and then everybody likes different pieces of the ideas and they want to Frankenstein them together and put them all together. And what you're doing is you're watering down the campaign. It's not going to be as cool or as beloved by people. It, it's going to make you happy because the engineering and tech person and the product development person all got a little piece of the campaign that that they care about. But ultimately, the consumer is going to be confused. It's not going to hit them as emotionally as hard. And it's going to be watered down. So I think the biggest risk and missed opportunity is finding a way to be a convincing salesperson um, in organizations to get internal buy-in into the campaigns you're eventually going to run externally. Now we're moving on to the Blind Spot Insider segment of the show. This is where our guests answer questions that have been submitted by our listeners. This allows the listeners to submit questions, get different insights, specifically to questions that they had that might not otherwise be covered in our episode. If you're not a Blind Spot Insider, please go and register at riskblindspots.com, plural, because we all have them, riskblindspots.com, to be able to submit questions for our guests, to listen to the responses, and to get exclusive content. So with that, here's our first question. Scott, this has been really great information you've provided today. I think that the people that are listening to the blind spot segment, the regular segments are really going to pull a lot away from this. So thank you so much for your insights from your side of the desk. So where can our audience find you if they want to look you up or connect with you? Yeah, uh, probably the easiest place for business people to find me is on LinkedIn. Um, and I produce content there, uh, but also uh, Instagram as well. It's just at Scott Harkey, pretty much pretty much anywhere. Okay. Um, but probably for most business people, LinkedIn's probably the most comfortable format. Well, terrific. So I want to recap for our listeners what our key takeaways were for today. Uh, they were about customer acquisition, strategies, trends, and so much more uh, to be able to manage your programs and build your companies. And then the thoughtful responses to the questions from our Blind Spot Insiders. So, Scott, I want to thank you for all the time you spent today. And this information will really help those who are trying to avoid the what-the-risk moments and expose their business blind spots. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks again for having me on. It's been fun. Thank you for tuning in and joining this What the Risk podcast, designed to be a safe space to learn about risk, how to think about risk, and how to expose business blind spots. This podcast is about empowering you as business leaders to reduce the stress of the unknown risks in your business, as well as the stress of decision-making by being able to identify and mitigate potential risks through the right level of due diligence. So here are three quick next steps that I need you to do. Hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to make sure you don't miss future episodes and give us a five-star rating. Share the podcast with a peer. Both of you will gain visibility to what you didn't know existed in the blind spots. And go to riskblindspots.com, that's plural because we all have them, riskblindspots.com, to become a blind spot insider. You'll get exclusive advance notice of the next two episodes, so you can submit questions, topics, and suggestions for our show. And tell us if we have any blind spots. Continue with us on this journey as we learn to ask the right questions, expose potential pitfalls, and turn those what-the-risk moments 
into I've Got This Victories.